Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be looking at a podcast by what looks like a Sunday school teacher out of Illinois, and he teaches a class on open theism. So we're going to take a look at kind of the things that he says and what he says about open theism and his arguments against open theism. And this guy is a Calvinist. And what I like about this particular podcast that we're going to be looking at, this particular preacher, is that he reminds me very much of your standard Calvinist that you're going to meet on the street. And he has the same kind of ideas floating around in his head, and he makes the same type of arguments, and he is your run-of-the-mill Calvinist. You know, all the cartoons that we draw for God is Open, this is the guy. This same type of arguments, same logic, they're cookie-cutter Calvinists. So this preacher, he's very convinced that open theism is a heresy. So let's listen to this guy. And we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit in his podcast. His podcast is an hour long. Ours is only 30 minutes long. I might skip arguments that, you know, everyone could go to make sure that I'm quoting him in context. I don't want to be accused of trying to, you know, just butcher his points or misrepresent him. So everyone could do that. And if I miss an argument that people want me to cover, I'll definitely cover that. But... You know, we're just going to kind of jump around and see how his logic flows. Uh, so, first defining principle of open theism is that God does not have exhaustive foreknowledge. God knows absolutely nothing beyond what has happened in the past and what is going on in the present right now. He knows as much as he can know, but he doesn't know absolutely everything. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, I'd just like to caveat that... Uh, you know, normal people like you and I, we have knowledge of the future. Just yesterday, this Calvinist, he emailed me and he said, you know, you think God doesn't know the future? And he quoted a verse about, you know, God being able to graft the Gentiles in or something like that. And uh, I responded to him. I'm like, you know what? I know the future too. Today, I'm going to go to this town. And it's a town I was like two and a half hours away. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go there. It's going to happen. I'm going to get back and I'm going to email you. And guess what? Everything happened just as I predicted. So did I have knowledge of the future? Yeah. The standard knowledge doesn't have to be like an absolute knowledge, like 100% can never change. But normal people have knowledge of the future. Normal people know they're going to wake up the next morning. The sun's going to rise the next morning. The world's going to go on turning. They're going to go to work. Stuff like that. And you know what? They're not usually wrong. They're usually right. So this is what normal people understand as knowledge. And the Calvinists, they try to invent this, like, new definition of knowledge that's just pretty idiosyncratic to their specific theology. Oh, this knowledge has to be, like, 100% with no doubt and no shadow of turning and stuff like that. And it's just this weird concept that no one's familiar with because nowhere in life do you experience someone with 100% surety knowledge. This is one thing that we need to notice about how Calvinists argue. They make up new terms. They attribute to these terms these definitions that we do not encounter in our normal day lives. And then they try to retroactively apply that onto the Bible. So it's a lot of eisegesis, not exegesis. So this Calvinist, he doesn't try to be unfair to open theists. He quotes some open theists to try to make some points. Uh, but then he starts talking about change and time. And he seems not to understand standard Calvinist theology. He doesn't understand the theology of Origen or Augustine or even, you know, Aquinas about immutability and timelessness. And we have our episode on the classical attributes, and we talk about Norman Geisler, and we quote Norman Geisler on, 
immutability and how timelessness means unchangingness and simplicity and stuff like that. And all these are the Platonistic concepts. And this Calvinist really endorses those concepts, but he kind of takes these concepts and he tries to make them work with mutable concepts as well. So, mutable concepts such as changing in time and changing and for different reasons. And he thinks that change is consistent with immutability, which is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense, it's John Sanders, uh, it makes no sense to attribute any kind of change to a timeless being. So basically what he's saying is, is that any kind, well, this is another thing that open theists see, which is that they kind of have a, we'll get into it in a second, but uh, they, they have the idea that if God does anything, if God displays any emotions, uh, the incarnation, uh, if God does anything, any act, that means that there is a change in God, which is wrong. But um, what, so what he's saying here is that if you're going to come from the, from the traditional idea that God is timeless and God acts, there is a change in his being, and that can't happen. Therefore, God has to be in time. So let's hear from Augustine. Augustine was a Neoplatonist, and he was steeped in Neoplatonism, and he said the Bible is ridiculous. And as you hear from this Calvinist we're listening to, he thinks the Bible is ridiculous as well. He thinks the Bible is a bunch of God lisping to man. So it's, it's a bunch of nonsense to be rejected in favor of his theology. And so Augustine writes this. He says, but how did you speak? And he's talking to God, and this is in his confessions. He says, was it in the same manner in which the voice came along from the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son, for the voice sounded forth and died away, and it began and ended, and the syllable sounded and passed away, and second after first, and third after second, and thence in order, till the very last after the rest, silence after the last. Do you notice how he's using all these kind of time sequences, like this happened, and this happened, and this happened? But Augustine needs to reject that, because in his view, God is immutable and timeless. There is no change. God can't do things. God has no action. And Augustine says this, From this it is clear and plain that it was the action of a creature itself in time, which sounded that voice, obeying thy eternal will. And so God cannot speak. God cannot speak in Calvinism, in this uh, Neoplatonism, because God's utterly unchanging. And so, in order for God to say, you know, this is my beloved son, it has to be like a parrot creature. And this is Augustine's serious theology, pretty standard theology embraced by Calvinism. Remember, Calvinism embraces the perfect being theology, and perfect being theology is pretty contingent on, on change. Their idea is, if anything changes, then the change has to be for the better or the worse, because God is the perfect being, if he changed in any way whatsoever, if there's any moving parts, God has to be absolutely simple, remember? And he has to be absolute acity, pure actuality. And so if there's any moving parts, if there's any change at all, that undoes this perfection. So God can only be related to people in sort of like a goalpost way where people can walk away or get closer to, you know, this, this concept. But God can't change or be moved in any sense. And this is Platonism. This is mystery cultism, this is Gnosticism, and this is Calvinism. So then the author goes on to, this is his big misrepresentation of open theism. He doesn't seem to understand John Sanders' argument. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, I don't got the quote in front of me from what John Sanders is saying, but listen to what John Sanders says, and think in your mind, say, what is John Sanders arguing, what's he trying to say, 
And what is the Calvinist responding with? And did the response, did that answer what Sanders' quote was actually trying to do? God experiences emotions as we do. This is a very, very big point for them. John Sanders, in his debate, these are questions, so I didn't, write, I didn't give the answers. These are questions he's posing to someone. Does God know what it is to be me? So when he says, does God know what it is to be me, it means, does God experience this? Is God in time? Is he experiencing change? Does he experience grief? Does he experience hurt the same way I do? do so God doesn't have consciousness of my personal identity. So if God is not exactly the way I am, then God can't know how I'm feeling. When I change my mind, when something happens to me, when I feel grief over something, if God doesn't feel grief the same way I do, then he can't actually know me. Therefore, I can't actually relate with him. Would God know what it's like to be tempted to sin over again experientially? Does God actually, actually, the quotation fingers, actually know what it's like to experience sin and then experience the letdown of doing the same sin again? If no, then to them, your system is wrong. You have to be able to, God has to be able to know experientially the things that we go through in order for him to be a good and true God. So when you hear the beep, that's just me cutting out a little bit of the stuff that wasn't really relevant. But look at John Sanders. What is John Sanders arguing? And what does this Calvinist think that John Sanders is arguing? This Calvinist thinks that John Sanders is arguing that God has to experience sin in the way that we do in order to relate to us and love us. Something silly like that. I don't think John Sanders was arguing that at all. I think that John Sanders was arguing a very material point that this Calvinist just doesn't get, that his theology just doesn't understand. So here's the question. How would the Calvinist, if pressed, answer this question? This is one of those questions the Calvinists, they just don't want to answer. Because it's really funny, they claim God has all knowledge. You know what's also knowledge? Experiential knowledge is knowledge. You know, what's it like to be a child molester? Does God know that? And if God doesn't know that, then he doesn't have all knowledge. And so when the Calvinists, they press for this idea of omniscience, having all knowledge, and it's it's like this this superior knowledge of all everything, and you know, it's... It just doesn't work because it's self-contradictory. It's a ridiculous term, and it just it's not conceptually valid. Does God know what it's like to be utterly lost in this world without hope of redemption? We should hope not, because, you know, first of all, if he did know that, then uh, he would have had to experience some sort of situation in which God couldn't be redeemed in some sense. And if I remember right, this uh, question came out of the Sanders-James White debate. And James White, he's terrible at answering questions. He doesn't want to answer questions because Calvinists are very afraid of questions because their entire system of theology is self-contradictory. So if they have to answer a simple yes or no question, they will flounder and they'll stutter and they'll just try to redirect. They can't answer yes or no questions because their whole theology collapses. So notice that this Calvinist not only does not answer the Sanders questions, he doesn't give us a yes or no answer, but he also misunderstands intentionally, I don't know, I should hope not, but uh, he misunderstands the point that Sanders is trying to make, that God does not have experiential knowledge, and that is a type of knowledge, that's how people function, and you know, 
knowledge, having all knowledge is not a thing. That's not a concept. It's a self-contradictory thing. A child molester is going to have a different set of knowledge than someone else, and no one's going to be able to duplicate that knowledge and that experiential knowledge because it's unique to an individual. Once you complicate it with additional knowledge sets and stuff like that, then it's no longer that person's knowledge, and therefore you can't have that knowledge because it doesn't work by adding knowledge to it and still being able to experience that knowledge. That's the beauty of this argument by Sanders, because this Calvinist, he's stuck in this uh, Platonic world. You know, Plato had his theory of the forms where every single thing had some sort of perfect representation in the spiritual realm, this unchanging, immutable realm. And this Platonism really is filtered down into Calvinistic thought, where they think the entire world functions by Plato's theory of the forms, where there's got to be the absolute knowledge that, you know, God transcends all this experiential knowledge to, just to be in this in this realm of the forms. You know, it's Platonism, it's Platonism, it's Platonism. These guys believe Platonism. That's one thing I ask these Calvinists sometimes. It's like, okay, so you're just going to discount everything the Bible says because you say, like John Calvin says, that the Bible is just God lisping to us. And then you're just going to supplant it with all these Platonistic concepts. Why are you a Christian? Why? You're just rejecting the Bible, replacing it with Platonism. Why don't you skip the middleman and go straight to the Platonism? Let's listen to this guy and see with what disdain that he holds the Bible. This is how he thinks of the Bible's text, how the Bible is written. Just listen. So we talked about anthropomorphisms before. Um, they, when We're going to look at their scripture passages that they're going to, to prove their beliefs, what it is they believe. They're going to say that any scripture passage that has anything to do with God relenting God um, saying that I'm going to do this, and then someone convinces him otherwise, that that's a change. Like um, what's that? Like the, flood. the flood, exactly. Yeah. That all the language about God having emotions, about God changing his mind, about God having feelings, about God mm-hmm. regretting, that these are all actual, again, doing the finger thing. These are actual feelings. God is actually feeling this. It's not just Scripture talking to us to understand God as we can understand him because he's an infinite being and we really can't understand him. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? So um, from our standpoint, uh, from our standpoint, like the way uh, John Calvin put it, is that God lisps to us as one lisps to a child. So the kind of goo-goo-ga-ga ga, and you t- kind of talk with broken English so that they can understand you, that's kind of what God is doing is he's condescending to us so that we can understand what we can about him. So let's make a lot of points about this. This is a really good quotable quote. Just copy and paste this portion of audio and uh, have it forever to quote because this is their view of the Bible. The Bible is nonsense. We need to reject it. It's Goo Goo Gaga baby talk. And we got our own theology that subverts it. But listen to what they say. They say, it was written like that to condescend a man and kind of tell people about God in this condescending fashion. But if you believe it, you are a heretic, and you're going to hell. And that is his entire argument. And he says this throughout his podcast that open theists are heretics. They're heretics for believing the Bible, and the Bible was apparently written to condescend to man, to kind of teach man about God in this condescending fashion. So his argument is literally that the Bible was written to send people to hell for being heretics. Calvinism is not biblical scholarship, and you really clearly see it here. His argument is, All the narratives of God, 
you know, take the Genesis account. The narrator in the account talks about God. The narrator says that God repents and that God grieves. God is quoted in the text. This is a quote by Yahweh that God says, you know, I regret having made men. And he has to say, oh, no, 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 let's, let's get rid of all of that. Uh, so the entire thing of the story where God repents and that's his motivation for destroying the world, none of that actually happened. None of these conversations happened. It just all didn't happen. And I have my own theology that just supplants all of this. And that's how they do biblical theology. Yeah, for a Calvinist to claim that they're a biblical scholar, you might as well think that these astrologers are scientists, you know. It's just absolute nonsense. They just they just throw the Bible in the trash, and they say, just forget all that stuff happened, um, uh, and just listen to my new theology that I have, that the text refutes. If the text were to be believed, my theology wouldn't be true. And guess what? My, my views aren't falsifiable and now the text has unlimited leeway, and uh, it, that means I'm right and everyone else is wrong. That's how they do biblical theology. It's absolute quackery. So let's take the Exodus 32 account. Exodus 32 is written by Moses. And in that text, it recounts a conversation between God and Moses. So the Calvinist claim is literally that God is condescending to Moses... And Moses is writing this conversation in Exodus 32, but Moses supposedly understands Calvinist theology, supposedly understands God's immutability and future omniscience and stuff like that. But then he puts in this text this dialogue between himself and Yahweh, in which Yahweh is condescending to him and telling him things about burning in rage and wanting to destroy the people and repenting of destroying the people. And he's writing it in a story about himself in which he is reacting to God as if what God was saying was actually true. It's absolute nonsense, Calvinism. So that's that's what's really funny. So when you listen to biblical scholars, like Christine Hayes, probably the most well-known biblical scholar out there. She's got the free Yale course for the Old Testament. I wonder how much of this Calvinist, how much of his audience would be able to sit through an actual Yale professor's course about the Old Testament. Because she kind of chuckles at these Calvinists who come to the text. And, and you've got to know that she's had these students who write papers and try to submit them as if, you know, all these biblical authors had these ideas of immutability and omniscience in mind. And she smirks and she laughs that these people try to present these papers as if the biblical text supports these concepts. And it's just absolute nonsense. Why not? We'll listen to her again. Secondly, remember that the Bible isn't a manual of religion. It's not a book of systematic theology. It doesn't set out certain dogmas about God. And you need to be careful not to impose upon the Bible theological ideas and beliefs that arose centuries after the bulk of the Bible was written. For example, a belief in a heaven and hell as a system of reward or punishment, or the belief in a God that doesn't change his mind. The character Yahweh in the Bible changes his mind. It's just a fact of the text. Christina Hayes really represents standard biblical scholarship. I wonder how uh, this Calvinist audience would react to all sorts of biblical scholars that treat the text with a lot of respect and trying to figure out what the author is trying to communicate to their audience. People like David Kleins or Walter Brueggemann or even Rabbi Sachs. Rabbi Sachs is really funny because he points out that Christianity tries to hijack the Old Testament and they take all these passages and they take these short little verses and they just pull them out of context and they try to make them about this these metaphysics like oh yeah in Malachi it's about God's inability to change that he's 
He's perfectly immutable. And he's like, what are you talking about? Look at what the context is. And it's about God's promises to Israel, that God's promises to Israel aren't going to change. It's not about metaphysics. And metaphysics is the exact wrong point to be pulling out of these texts. And Rabbi Sachs thinks that Christianity is just this platonistic hijacking of the Jewish religion. And he's right for a lot of the things that he's saying, how that... Uh, Christianity really took like I am who I am and they tried to convert it into these this metaphysics whereas in context it's all about God's actions in the world and God liberating up people for himself from the mightiest nation at that time it's all about God will be who he wants to be and it's all about self-determination and these Platonistic Christians they hijack these verses and they try to make it into metaphysics so there's people like the Terrence Freethiums, there's Colin Gunters of the world, and they all point out the exact same thing, that uh, all these metaphysics that are being imposed onto the Bible, they're not biblical, they're coming from Platonism, from this uh, theory of thought, this Salina thought that is not kosher to Judaism, it's not found in the Bible, and it's very foreign to the biblical text. So here's a quote from Colin E. Gunton in, in his book, Axed and Being. Greek appears to stress a theology of divine being, Hebrews of divine action. There is a tendency to identify the divine attributes by a list of omnis and negatives, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresence, infinite, eternal, and the rest, and then paste them onto conceptions of divine actions. So he's saying, you know, Christians, they like these Greek ideas, and they bring the Greek ideas to the Hebrew text, and they just, like, copy and paste them over them. They're like, ah, oh, you know, God's repenting in here. Oh, we can't have that here. We'll slap some immutability here. And we'll just, you know, just override the Hebrew text and these he this Hebrew theology with all these Greek ideas. Here's Walter Brueggemann making the exact same point. He says, Israel's characteristic adjectival vocabulary about Yahweh is completely lacking in terms that have dominated classical theology. So notice this disconnect that Walter Brueggemann is uh, highlighting. He's saying, you know, these ideas, these concepts that these these Calvinists, they're trying to claim against God, it, they're completely absent from the Bible. These are not terms that are used in Jewish theology. This is not Jewish theology in the least. So Walter Brueggemann says, This sharp contrast suggests that classical theology, insofar as it is dominated by such interpretive categories and concerns, is engaged in issues that are not crucial for Israel's testimony about Yahweh, and are in fact quite remote from Israel's primary utterance. The Old Testament, in its discernment of Yahweh, is relentlessly committed to the recognition that all of reality, including the reality of Yahweh, is relational relative to the life and destiny of Israel, and the God of Israel has no propensity to be otherwise than related to Israel. So the entire Old Testament, and this is coming from his magnum opus, Walter Brueggemann's magnum opus, The Theology of the Old Testament, he said the entire purpose of this Old Testament is to present this relational God relational to Israel. And the Calvinists, they take this relational God and they try to turn it into this Greek God of immutability. And it's a total reversing of the text. It's a total rejection of the entire point of the Bible. So really, when Calvinists say, oh, yeah, our view is the biblical view, like where? Where's the biblical view? You take these short little phrases, you pull them out of context, you try to deny any other possible meanings to them, and then you just discount large sections of the Bible. Complex narratives from multiple perspectives over large courses of time that the narratives fall apart without those crucial pieces being present. 
and all of that's going to be rejected in favor of metaphysical interpretations of chance phrases. One more time. So the kind of goo-goo guy, and you kind of talk with broken English so that they can understand you, that's kind of what God is doing is he's condescending to us so that we can understand what we can about him. But that there is a certain amount of... um, uh, there, there is a certain amount of incomprehensibility when it comes to God. They are saying, no, we can know God exactly as the scripture says about it. Oh, no. Open theists think that we can know God through the Bible. Ooh, such heretics, heretics. So from this point, this Calvinist, uh, he goes on and starts talking about open theist proof texts. And here is another funny facet of Calvinism. Calvinists think they don't have to refute open theist points. They think that just stating open theist beliefs are refutation enough. So they say, you know, in Genesis 22, God sets up this test for Abraham, and he has Abraham do stuff, and then after the test gets done, he says, you know, now I know, you know, after the outcome of the results of the test. And they say, open theists think that God learned something, and then they all they all laugh. They're like, ah, ha, ha, hilarious they think that god learned something in that text they think that text is god learning all right what's the next point and then they just move on that's what they do so uh verse 12 is where they're going to focus do not do anything for to him for now i know that you fear god because you did not withhold your son your only son from me so what the open theists are going to say is that god tested abraham because god had no idea what his choice was And so, now that he sees what Abraham is going to do, now he knows that he can continue to bless Abraham. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So God learned about Abraham. God gives Abraham a task to see what his reaction is. God's test of Abraham is an actual test, and God does not know what Abraham's response will be. So God's knowledge is being added to. God is learning. God didn't know this about Abraham. So here's the thing. What is the alternative? What is this text trying to communicate? What is the author trying to tell his audience? What is the audience supposed to get from it? What was the author thinking when they wrote the text? What is the purpose of the text? What is it trying to do? And you know what? If, if you start denying the things that are happening in the text and saying that that's not true, the motivations that are ascribed to the characters aren't true, the characters have quotes that they say, you know, this is Yahweh talking. And it's often that Yahweh is talking. And the Calvinists will just say, you know, it doesn't matter what Yahweh says. We don't care what God says. We don't care. Instead, we'll take uh, the words of a Samuel, a character in the story of 1 Samuel 15, and we'll try to make his statements metaphysical, and they'll override God's own quote about himself. They will override the narrator's quote about God. We'll take the words of the false prophet Balaam, they will override what God says about himself throughout the Bible. It's it's really minimalizing God's testimony about himself. When God speaks, they don't care what God says. It's just God's talking, eh, we got our own theology, God, so uh, we don't need to hear what you say. We're going to go believe this over here instead. 
you know, they talk about this text. They talk about Genesis 22 just a little bit more, but it's all in the same fashion. They're just kind of a little brainstorming a few things among themselves. It doesn't seem like any of them have ever talked to an open theist. And so they kind of misrepresent open theist beliefs, and uh, they laugh among themselves about open theist beliefs. And it's all in discounting the text of the Bible, saying, oh, this is a story that we just kind of ignore. And they do this with several biblical texts. Uh, they go through it, and they just discuss it. And they don't refute it, and I don't think they'll ever get to refuting it. Often you see that in these Calvinist articles online. They'll say, oh, open theists believe this about this text, and then they'll move on to a different text. They won't address the text. They won't address the meaning of the text, what this text is supposed to do, what the audience is supposed to take from the text. It's it's not biblical theology, and I, when I say that, I say that in all seriousness. Calvinism is not biblical theology. It's discounting the Bible in favor of some metaphysical, systematic theology that's imposed upon the Bible, and it really doesn't want to look at the text to try to see what the text is trying to do for the audience. So we're about running out of time, but this uh, podcast is a lot of good things. He misrepresents uh, sources of open theism. He talks about process theism. He discounts the whole side of open theism that descends from the McCabe's of the world, the Baderwolf's of the world, the Elsas of the world, the Gordon Olson's of the world. The biblical side of open theism that has a strong heritage. Adam Clark even had some very open theist statements that he said. This Calvinist, he's just not aware of these individuals, and he's not aware about the strong Platonism that's very strongly documented in the early church, that pretty much all biblical scholars, except for this tiny evangelical Calvinist subset of biblical theologians, those are the only people that reject this heavy Platonistic influence in Christian theology. Everyone else realizes it, except for the people with skin in the game who actually endorse this Platonism. We could count the number of times he uses the word heresy, you know, quite a lot. And uh, remember, open theists, they believe the condescending words that God used to communicate to us, but uh, believing that is heresy and we're going to go to hell for believing what God wrote to us in a manner to condescending to our understanding. He talks a little bit about the theory of time and he laughs at open theists for not being able to talk about God's eternality, how God has lasted forever. But then he starts talking about God's eternality, how God was immutable and entered time. He's like, I can't understand it and that's okay. But then he's at the same time laughing at open theists who can't uh, explain God's everlastingness. He's got this double standard, this total double standard for his ideas and theology. Maybe we'll record a second podcast about uh, some more of his ideas that he explores in his podcast, or if he's posting future podcasts, it might be interesting to come and look at it. As always, if you have questions or comments about this podcast, feel free to comment either on our God is Open webpage or our Facebook companion page, God is Open. Thank you for listening.